It's so much about the little things that you turn into daily practices that you can be consistent on. That's the path to mastery. You're never going to get there through passion alone. Passion is kind of the catalyst and like the launching point. But the rest of it is kind of a grind, or at least certain days, it's really going to be a grind. You don't want to drink your water. You don't want to do your finger exercises, and you don't want to do your squats. <laughs> and that is a perfectly natural position to be in. I'm in that position all the time. It's, it's kind of bizarre. Sometimes you go to one side where it's like meditating will help. Unplugging and just going out to the woods and sitting down is going to help. Other times, it's totally not. You have to go to the other side, the other extremes. And I had so much spine pain that I couldn't move my head for a couple of months. I really had a hard time. But as soon as I could go out and run again, I knew that in my experience anyway, when you're dealing with a lot of pain, sometimes the only thing that helps is getting the endorphins and redistributing that pain to another part of your body. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. And today on the show, we are talking about how to recreate yourself in the face of adversity. I can't think of many people that have more experience in this than Abel James. Abel is a New York Times bestselling author, a musician, and the host of the Fat Burning Man Show, a podcast with over 50 million downloads. Abel was a touring musician early on in his life until suddenly the momentum stopped and he was faced with one of the toughest decisions of his life. He had two choices continue grinding as a touring musician struggling to pay his bills, or change careers to make a sustainable living. He chose the latter and dove deep into the world of health and wellness. The process certainly wasn't easy, but he used his work ethic from his music career to build something meaningful. He was a celebrity coach on the ABC primetime weight loss show and has been voted as one of the 100 most influential people in health and fitness by greatest for several consecutive years. When his debut cooking app, Caveman Feast, beat out the Food Network and Martha Stewart with more than 1,000 five-star reviews in 48 hours, Abel became the first independent publisher to hold Apple's number one food app and number one health podcast at the same time. Today, we chat about his story as well as how he keeps himself out of the comparison trap and the power of solitude and disconnecting from technology. We also discuss his best practices for staying grounded and recreating yourself when change is needed. Lastly, he shares the heartbreaking story of how he and his wife nearly died last summer from carbon monoxide poisoning. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Abel James to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Abel James, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Doug, thanks so much for having me. Of course. I so enjoyed recording with you on yours and... I've even more so enjoyed getting to know you, just listening to more about your story, digging into your content. And I've heard several people say this, and I'm going to say you are like the, you're like a modern day Renaissance man, poet, musician, podcaster, trainer, author, cook. I mean, just everything, VR guy. And what I think is really fascinating to me most about your journey 
is it didn't really come as easy as people may think. People are like, oh, it must be easy to to pivot and get into music when you're so talented at it. It must be easy to get into to podcasting when you got the voice that you have. It must be easy to get on TV, be a reality TV star in the fitness space when you look a certain way. But you didn't start there. You hustled as a kid. You paid your way through college, graduated from Dartmouth in what, three years? With like, and with a degree, by the way, not in anything super easy, a degree in like brain science and psychology, go on to become some sort of consultant, right, for business. And then you decide, you know what, like this isn't serving me anymore. Let's go into music. So walk the audience through how you got really passionate about music. And then that moment where you realize music full-time wasn't serving you anymore and you needed to make a massive change in your life to be able to generate some income and continue to help so many people as you have today. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. But I was just going to say, like, I'm still a shy kid. Yeah. Like on the inside, music was one of the things at a young age for me, I felt like I could play. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire and like the winters were long and dark. So we had to entertain ourselves. We didn't have cable TV or anything. We didn't come from money or anything like that. So we had to entertain ourselves. And my brother started playing the drums and I started, this is a little later, but when I first got my start, I was playing, I really wanted to play the saxophone. And my parents who didn't have extra money lying around, they're like, well, you're going to have to prove yourself first. So Mm. here's the deal. We've got... uh, mom's old clarinet that she played in high school that's been in grandma's basement for the past 30 years or whatever. And if you learn how to play that, then we'll help you buy, if you save enough money, we'll help you buy a saxophone down the road. And so I got that stinky old musty clarinet and I played that thing like nothing else. Like clarinet was just the coolest thing for me. I loved it. I played it with a babysitter for a while. It was like playing duets and I was playing Christmas uh, carols in the car with my parents squeaking in the front seat and and whatever. But as a shy kid, like who fell in love with that pretty early, one of the music teachers around town started inviting me out to play gigs. And so I'd put on like basically my church clothes and I I was like the fat middle child, not fat, but like kind of pudgy and so i put on my best church clothes and the bow tie and like played clarinet at the local diner and started busking on the street during christmas like wearing a christmas hat and playing for a few bucks and i want to pause was- really quick right there yeah. and you can finish i don't want to interrupt you but i want people to really pay attention and listen to this because this is a guy by the way who didn't just stop his music career here or even after high school or after college or whatever the case may be i mean you toured with tim mcgraw and tim mcgraw's band so <laughs> I didn't play with his band on tour, but I recorded with this touring band. So like semantics, but basically, yeah, it's like I got to play around and with my idols in right. my late twenties. Yeah. By the time I was in my late twenties. Right. So, okay. Okay. So I want to kind of pause there and then go back. I just want people to know like these kind of, this is what kind of it takes to get to that point. You got to put the work in, you got to put your bow tie on, go and play at these, these places for next to nothing or nothing to prove yourself, earn some credibility, build relationships and see where the ball rolls from there. So where did that ball roll from that moment when you're, you know, wearing the bow tie playing at churches? 
<laughs> yeah. You know, it, well, it was one of those things where even at family functions, like my, one of my favorite people in the world, she just passed this year at 97 years old, but my grandmother, she loved mm -hmm. music. And so for the holidays, we'd all get together and a few times a year we'd get together. And I was the one who was just like playing the clarinet. And as I grew up, that became a saxophone. Once I had like turned, started growing up, I could afford it and, and really worked my way into playing that, buying the instrument, seeing that as like, I was too young to have a business, but I'm like, wow, you can, you can work and you can basically get tools to do cooler work mm -hmm. later. Like, so I started buying and selling different instruments by learning how to work on them and, and starting to make a little money that way. And eBay was just getting started back then. So under my dad's account, under his name, I started just like putting all these eBay listings for com computer parts, recording parts, whatever I could get my hands on and try to no like way. <laughs> a good photograph of, put a good description. And my whole thing was trying to put a more honest, longer, transparent post to get lots of good reviews mm. back then in the 90s. And then I started, so I made a little bit of money and, and started wheeling and dealing instruments that way, which is just fun for me. It's like a freedom, even though we're talking 50 bucks at a time, hundred bucks at yeah. a time, whatever. It's just like the world to me. And, but for me, mostly like as a kid who was kind of shy and didn't always feel empowered in like social situations, it was something where I felt like I could give something to people mm. and not have to just talk or just like kind of play by everyone else's rules it's like i'd so much rather just like be the weird one in the corner like eating the christmas cookies than like pull out the clarinet and entertain everyone for 15 minutes and then it's it's like it made more sense for who i was so i think while it's not always positive being in the spotlight i felt that early and i kind of adapted to it in some ways but not enough so that i would come out unscathed when it kind of hit later in life and I was on that big ABC TV show, people really started recognizing me and stuff and painting me into corners and, and putting me up on a pedestal in a, in kind of a sick way. In the first, I never understood Justin Bieber and like all these celebrities with all this money, like acting out and doing all this crazy stuff until that happens, until I couldn't go shopping in a grocery store without like being mobbed and surrounded. And like, I really need to pee. And I really, yeah. like, people are telling me their life story and all this stuff. And, and just the weird exploitative nature of Hollywood and celebrity and all that, that still messed me up for a while. And then like for the first time in my life, I, I totally understood Justin Bieber from a certain angle that yeah because now you have to live up to that expectation right you get put on this pedestal and people think that you're almost like a god if you will in some sense and but you're just humanized at the same time is the weird part it's kind of like my wife allison is a beautiful woman and she talks about like the similarities between like being a famous or well-known influential person who's recognized and just kind of like a young attractive woman mm. who's taken and doesn't need all that attention and just like is interrupted all the time. It's like all this unwanted stuff that dehumanizes you when you put someone on a pedestal and you create this hierarchy type deal, it dehumanizes who they are. All of a sudden you don't, you don't understand that they do have a family. Like when I met Tim McGraw, for example, and I've only met him on a handful of occasions, I really got to know his band well, but one of the things that stuck out to me, I'm just like, wow, what a real person you meet big names, big celebrities or whatever. And you could totally tell that they're very human with insecurities, weaknesses, and all the rest of it. We've all got that, but it can get hyped up depending on your life experience. 
Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point. I mean, I think for all the people that I've been able to come across in my life, I mean, certainly I haven't been had the opportunity to meet some of the people that you have, but even talking to people like yourself and some of the others on their shows, my show, whatever it may be, people put on, we put on our shoes the exact same way. We all get out of bed. We all have a duty in society to contribute in whatever way we can. And I think people sometimes forget that because we put so much stock in external validation. We put so much stock in social media, followers, money, fame, that that's how we judge how important somebody is. So we think that just because somebody makes 10, 15, $20 million a year, or they have 20 million followers, or not that they're not talented and they haven't contributed to the world. That's not what I'm saying, but we think that they're that much more important than us. And I think that's where people get into trouble because that's their only gauge of how they measure success, right? Is by followers, money, fame. And so it's no wonder there's so many people right now experiencing a lot of unhappiness with the current society we live in. So getting back to your journey. So you end up hustling your butt off, right? From what I understand in your journey, you sell or selling MP3s, making a, a decent living doing that, traveling, touring, selling some CDs. And then all of a sudden the music stops, no pun intended, yeah. a little yeah. bit, right? And you're forced to kind of make a decision in your life to either keep running yourself. I don't want to say you're running yourself into the ground because you were doing what you love, but keep doing this thing that seemed like it, it had stopped working for you, yeah. even though you loved it so much. And you were like, there's this other thing that I really have this desire for that is in my family lineage a little bit. And that I think I can also contribute to the world. And that is through health. Yeah. And so talk about where you were in that moment. I mean, it seems to me from, from reading about your story, you were pretty unhealthy yourself, mentally and physically. You had tried every diet that was conventional out there. And for you, dialing your nutrition in a certain way completely transformed your life from the inside and out. So what happened during those moments for you? Yeah, it was uh, tickling rock bottom for me because mm. like, I was at the end of the type A stuff working. Yeah. The like just chugging along, going as hard as you can. You're rewarded oftentimes for the wrong things, for sacrificing sleep, relationships, mm. time, passion, whatever it is. To just like keep on going. You're going to be a VP by 25, man. Just like <laughs> that type of deal. And so for me, I, I, yeah, I sped my way through Dartmouth by working really hard, by taking, you know, extra classes faster and all the rest of it. And then I worked really hard to pay off my loans as quickly as possible so I could just finally be broke. So I could finally not owe any money to anybody. And as soon as I was, and I turned down the, the promotion, the, the consulting job in DC, I bought this old, Mercedes diesel that I converted to run on biodiesel. So I started like sourcing my own alternative weird fryolator oils to drive that for less money and just like living for cheap and being a musician drove to, to Austin, Texas. And about eight months after that on Easter weekend, I, I go out on a Friday night and at, <laughs> and it was like one thirty in the morning. I come home, I see all these sirens where I hear all these sirens, I see all these flashing lights get closer and closer, and it's it's my building that's on fire. And I realize that I've lost everything, mm. and I'm broke. And, like, my car was parked in front of it, couldn't even drive that. So, I literally, I was wearing, like, skip ahead a few weeks after that. 
I had overworked myself to the point where I was moonlighting, doing computer programming. I had been doing that consulting, playing gigs, nights and weekends. And so I put on 25, 30 pounds, maybe even a little bit more than that. But the bigger hit that I took was following my doctor's advice because with that consulting job, I got fancy insurance. I wanted to listen to everything that he said instead of the world that I came from with my mom as a holistic nurse practitioner who knows her stuff. I kind of rebelled against that, followed his advice. So he puts me on a half dozen different prescription medications over the course of 18 months. I put on this weight, my triglycerides are high, my cholesterol is all out of whack. And basically I have all the problems that he had been trying to prevent and that I'd been trying to prevent by working so hard, basically following the wrong advice. So once I, once that fire happened, I, I just took a look at myself in the mirror and I'm wearing other people's clothes. I'm driving in someone else's car. I'm not living in, in my place. I don't have a place. I don't have an address. I don't have a mailbox. My life is in shambles. And I'm just like, man, all right. So that, that external world is chaos. But like, look at this face. It's like this big round puffy ass face. I look like I'm in my late forties, even though I'm like 23 years old. And I'm like, this isn't working. This is not working. Let's try something different. And so I, I basically had seen my older half brother who had his share of drug and, and legal problems over the years as kind of my, my negative ex- example not to replicate in my own life for the most part, except he watched Pumping Iron when he was like 16. I saw him go from, he was struggling with drug addiction or like previous to that. And so he was just, man, 140 pounds would be generous. Right. And he put on 50 or 60 pounds of just like muscle in a few months inside his tiny little cabin that he built with his bare hands you know mm. and i'm just like looking at this and and still kind of the pudgy middle child or whatever i'm like right. wait a minute you can do that and so i went deep into some of the rabbit holes that he went into not any of the drug use but looking at how you can use intermittent fasting uh, cyclic ketogenic dieting And some of these other just like nutrient partitioning methods that have been used for a really long time in bodybuilding circles and athletic circles, whatever. But you kind of have to look to these old school books and down these weird rabbit holes. So I did that for a few months and then I stopped being afraid of fat, focused on real foods. And my like basically all that extra weight came off. I went to single digit body fat without changing my training and like my thyroid problems the, the blood work problems with triglycerides and all the rest of it basically resolved themselves because I was supposed to be healthy in my early 20s. Right. And I had basically just been doing all the wrong things, eating the wrong foods, overworking, st- spending too much time in these dehumanized cube environments under artificial light and all the rest of it. So now that worked so hard and so fast on me that I was mad enough. I was really mad. That was the, the actually the genesis behind like me starting writing about it in the blog and just like telling people like listen it shouldn't it shouldn't be this hard and there are like old school pillars that we can follow to make it work if you want to make it work we can do this and uh, so i printed it up at kinkos first gave it out to friends and family and then it kind of just like scaled from there i kept doing it gave gave away like the blueprint of what you did yeah yeah, it's like awesome. First, kind of like beginning of my book, the bare bones mm. version of that. It was in like the local chiropractor's office in Austin, and just like handing it out to my dentist and stuff. And my dentist lost uh, sixty pounds in like six months. You know, so like these people around me, it's like, wow, this really 
does work and these people are floored by this, but it's not hard. And, and then, so I was still getting the money from doing consulting as a day job, but virtually from Austin at the time. And, and so I was getting these emails. I was working with the federal government and a lot of people who were really high up. But basically, it was just like, we need to have a meeting about the meeting that's coming up on Tuesday. And we should probably have a meeting just to follow up on that after our meeting. And I'm just comparing that to some of the emails that started coming in from my blog and from my website, which I started up back then. And, and then the podcast that are just like, man, I've lost like 70 pounds and it turned my life around all this stuff. And I'm just like, I can't do this crap anymore. I can't do this meeting stuff anymore. I, I'm being pulled in the other direction and I'll find a way to make that work. Yeah, I won't try to squeeze money out of it like too too soon. It has to be right. Yeah, I, I commend you because I think one of the main themes in your story is risk. And I think so many people, they want success. They want fulfillment. They want happiness. They want to achieve their goals, but they don't want to take their risk in doing so. In re reality, in order to get to that place, you have to take risk. You, in order to have success, you have to put yourself out there. In order to, to be fulfilled, you have to not be afraid to look like a moron the first time you try and do something new. In order to lose weight, you have to take that scary first step and change what you're eating or change your habits so that you can make time to go to the gym, whatever the case may be. And you continued to take those risks. So I want to dive into that because I think there's a lot of people that struggle to make it into the gym for the first time, people who struggle to change their nutrition, people who struggle to start that side hustle. What were some of the tactics you used in those moments? Like maybe some mindset stuff, because you, I think you started experimenting with biohacking, what we call biohacking today, very early on. Yeah. Right. So what were the things you did to not only burn the physical fat, but to burn the mental fat, manage stress, manage things like anxiety, depression, that sort of thing. When you were making that transition out of your day job to changing into the, the health and fitness uh, community. Yeah. What a great question. I think it's, it's really making the learning experiential. Mm. So at this point I've done 400 interviews, I think on my show, probably many more than that in various forms. And then on other people's show, literally many thousands. And so like these touch points with these people, it's so, it's so amazing to me. And I'm, I'm thankful that I got in kind of early because I got access to without like having a platform of my own that was big or without having much credibility in the field at the beginning, right? To get these big people, big names, the authors of the books who were just my heroes on right. my podcast pretty quick. And so as soon as I could start learning from them directly and literally, that that's one thing that I definitely do is before people come on my show, I like do deep research on them as if it's a class project back in school or in college or whatever. And I'm reading a stack of books. And so being I think that's thing, something that's in the modern days is what helps people like us who maybe have gone through school or had some sense of formal, formal education long ago, it keeps us fresh. It keeps us yeah. challenging ourselves. Plus I think it keeps the conversations more authentic because how bad would it be if I said, Hey, Abel, how, how was it when you were playing the violin as a kid? Or how was it when you were living in, Tokyo and you're like right yeah 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 so I mean it's important that we all like know that we're deeply flawed creatures and we're right. always going to be and yeah. it's something that we we just kind of keep on working on but it doesn't like yes you get some breaks but you get some hard stuff that happens too and when you it's kind of interesting and I wonder if we should change this that maybe I'll do that in my own bio 
<laughs> but like typically, and we're all trained by publishers and media and whomever else to put all of the best stuff in our bios, all the mm. highlights, all the stuff that worked out. But for each of those, at least in my own life, there have been at least 10 failures. And for each of the successes, it's like, yeah, it made money and it did well or whatever. And we helped a lot of people and we built a team. But then when the money stopped coming, or the rug was pulled from underneath our feet, or just like a widget stopped working, or whatever it was, the travel back down is really painful. Mm. And the more momentum you have, like the more damaging that can be. Like some of the people around me I've seen who've gotten massive scale, hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever, having to let go bankrupt, let their whole team go. Like this is a, a natural cycle that happens to a lot of people who take risk. And you kind of have to be willing to, to take that risk on but if you don't then it's well then why are we here <laughs> if you don't take that risk because i could easily be much more financially comfortable from so many different directions by putting out five more wild diet cookbook follow-ups and all the publishers would be happy and we'd be well paid but it's like if i didn't want to do that which i don't and i don't think it would bring people enough value then what are you doing with your life? Because what that costs, the value of time, right? Like the, you don't get that time back. You have to use it. Mm. And, uh, and, and so it's so important that people recognize that that is our most valuable asset is the time piece and what we do with it like right now. And it's just these simple kind of fundamental things that add up to giant advantages, giant project payoffs later or just it shows up in your own life if you hydrate if you make sure that you get your veggies in and they're clean if you go for wild clean sources of meat as well and you don't completely go crazy with overeating addiction drinking whatever that is and you just like color within the lines of reasonableness most of the time color outside of them sometimes have some fun you're gonna live a long time be happy and healthy and it doesn't have to be overly complicated but you do have to do it a hundred percent. And I think one of the simplest ways I should say to mitigate risk and as far as how you feel about the risk is to have a super deep why attached to it. Yes. yes. And it I think it feels so risky, right? Exactly. Cause you're like, you know what? This feels good to me. This I'm, I'm serving a, doing something to serve the greater good. This is because I'm using the lessons that I've learned. I'm going to pass it on to somebody else. And it's exactly what you've done. It seems throughout your career, you figure out a way that works for you as far as nutrition to change your life from the inside and out and beat some, I mean, I, I don't want to say you were battling mental health issues, but I'm sure you weren't feeling too great about yourself. Yeah. Right. You changed yourself physically. You got out of a job where it just wasn't serving you anymore. And then you end up from that moment, writing a New York times bestselling book getting on a reality TV show. I'm starting a podcast that today has over 50 million downloads. And we were talking about this before we recorded. You, I don't want to say you peaked early. That's not the right word, but you had success very early on in this space of becoming an author years ago. You started your podcast in 2012, where it quickly jumped in the health charts that was totally unexpected to you. You were on a reality TV show about five years ago, a little less than five years ago, something like that. And so today there's people all around us that are successful, that are getting millions of downloads on their podcasts, people who are writing New York Times bestselling books every week, people that have these massive platforms. How do you continue to reinvent yourself through the years? And, and how do you keep yourself out of that comparison trap when you're seeing all these people around us 
who started later than you maybe having more success or more downloads or a bigger following. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobst. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobst. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. That's where it's so important to really be clear on what success means to you. It sounds cliched and silly when you put it into English like that, but when you really internalize it and start to focus on your own life and your own why are we here, then it's easier to deal with, but only sometimes. There are certain faces that pop up on social media, especially paid social media, who have burned me, who yeah. I know are up to some dirty stuff. And so for me, it's the people who I know who have sacrificed integrity who are getting enormous momentum and influence that, that really shakes me up. It's like, I see that face and I have to pr practice forgiveness every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I need to practice forgiveness every time I see that stuff. And so we're all affected by it. And it's really important that you don't take it too personally. Well, I think just to, I don't mean to cut in again, but I think the people that are really authentic and doing things for the right reason. I think it's a natural thing to get triggered or upset or whatever word you want to use when you see people. And I, I mean, I see a few myself that have cheated their way into the system that aren't who they say they are. And you're seeing them have more success than you. And you're just thinking to yourself, God, this isn't fair. Like if, why is the world care so much about the algorithm or care so much about what's on paper and the external things that and if, cause if they didn't, and they cared about what they saw inside of my heart or my purpose, my mission, I would have more success, more fulfillment, more this, more that. And I think like you said, it's important to really check ourselves and say, you know what, like what's really important to me? Yeah. Is it integrity, character, loyalty, what I'm doing behind closed doors, how I treat my spouse, how I show up. Uh, to be my best self on my podcast? Where am I investing my money? Where am I investing my time? Because you have control over those things. You don't have control over how much money somebody else is going to spend on their advertising. You don't have control over, over whether someone else is going to lie about who they are. You don't have control over any of that. Yeah. All we have is the control over ourselves. And I think one of the things that it really hits home with me that you do such an, a great job of in looking internal for yourself for success. And you like, you practice what you preach is you pretty much like check out of technology for like a year at a time, right? Like you just go <laughs> off the grid and you're like, bye. And, and I think you see people a lot doing detox days from social media where they'll take a weekend off and take a day off. Maybe they take a week off. Maybe they take a month off, but you completely go off the grid. So talk about what inspired that 
what have been the benefits of doing that? What that looks like, the feeling you get after you come home, like, what is that? What's that process look and feel like? Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned something in the question before that, that kind of like loops in, I think playing to the algorithm is different Mm -hmm. than creating what you want to create, if that makes sense. So I had this interesting experience with someone in the music space who I followed early and got to know back and forth a little bit and uh, got to ask him some questions. And so he went from hundreds of thousands of followers and whatever. And I'm like, this guy needs momentum. He's good. It's like, he deserves it. He's putting in the work and just like such good stuff. And, uh, but then there was something around, it just seemed like the more content he was creating, it, it just started leaning in. It's all analyzing like popular mu- music songs and popular bands that people already know, instead of focusing on like his community of incredible musicians who are doing all this original stuff that has no place to go anymore. That's not getting any attention anymore on these major platforms. Like, why don't, so I asked him, it's like, why don't you, you know, interview some of these lesser known, like any musicians who are looking to get out there and like start doing listener submissions and stuff like that. And he's just like, cause the, the, no one would watch it. Mm. And I'm like, really? Like, so you don't think anyone would watch something that's kind of real and, and not just derivative of all these mega corporations that have been overplaying these songs for 50 years or whatever. And he's just like, yeah, well, I've got to keep the algorithm happy. And I'm like, oh, all of the creators now are trying to create for the algorithms. So literally, we're already bowing to AI <laughs> and just right. like anonymous random fact checkers or whoever to drive everything that we're doing and creating with our lives and businesses. Like this is how it works now. And so for me, that's totally alien. And I was checked out at the time. So it was easier to not be all... I have 40, 50,000 or 100,000 different followers and fans on different platforms and stuff like that. But I really don't, like, I don't trust it. It's like, it doesn't mean much of anything to me aside from the real connections you can have with real people. Now that it's all virtual and it's kind of commandeered by these different platforms and we know how easily gamed it is. Yeah. Like with all these trolls and fake followers or pumping up the numbers and pumping up the engagement or different corporate overlords pulling the strings and the person who's posting isn't actually posting. It's a team of someone who they don't even approve it or care anymore. It's just like, what are we doing? (laughs) So So pulling back from that and just completely unplugging where it comes from growing up in the middle of New Hampshire, we had ice storms and we'd lose power for seven, 10 days. And like I said, we had to entertain ourselves and there was great, just like benefit. It kind of felt natural to have that. And, and losing power is sometimes the best thing that can happen. You learn a lot and you adapt and you start to realize what's important. You hit the nail on the head. And I think it's interesting in a world or in a space, in a profession where authenticity is everything. When you're hosting a podcast, when you're appearing on social media, when you're writing a book, when you're teaching a course, when you're coaching, authenticity and integrity is everything. And that's how people truly relate to you at a core and emotional level. There's so many people being inauthentic, buying fake followers, trying to trick the algorithms. I mean, I've also heard you can buy downloads. You can do all these things. It's like, well, is that really you being authentic? And I think we get this, you get this false rush of dopamine, right? It feels good in the moment. I guarantee you the person who buys 50,000 followers feels real good uh, when you do it. And then like five seconds later, you're like, man, why'd I do that? Right. What did that do? 
Because the real thing is that when people are buying followers or buying downloads, the goal is to, I mean, I'm guessing is to get more people to listen to your stuff, get more people to buy your products. Well, you're buying people that don't exist. So they're not going to buy your stuff anyway. It's just a facade. And again, it's just this world we live in that, again, going back to what we were talking about, you know, at the beginning of our conversation about people putting a stock in gauging the level of success and happiness on someone based on their fame, their followers, the amount of money they make. And that's all it really does is you're trying to portray that you're more successful than the next person. And then you're having to continually live up to a lie of somebody who you really aren't. Right. That's, that becomes really hard, man. And I've been there. I'm sure you've had experiences of that too, because we're human beings and we're not perfect all the time. I'm sure there's been times where your authenticity, you've had to check yourself. I've had to check myself. People listening to this, they've had to check themselves. I think the important thing though, is to be self-aware enough to not continue to repeat that pattern and go down that rabbit hole until it becomes such a big, a big enough problem where it's incredibly hard to get out where you got to justify, well, how did I just show up with 3 million followers when I had 400 yesterday? How am I telling my, my spouse? Why am I telling my spouse that I have $5 million in my bank account because I was able to get somebody to create a, f- a fake bank statement when I really only have $5, right? And then sometimes it's too late, right? And you, you live off of this lie and you start to believe your own lies and it changes who you are. You start to become that person. You start to become that per- that that person of who you're lying about, of who you're like, you're lying um, about that, that their image. And you start to really become that image and it can become really scary. And I think that happens to a lot of people. So given what you do for a living, you're the fat burning man training. You wrote a book about nutrition. I, I know you, you eat well to take care of yourself. I know you obviously move your body. What are some other things you do on a daily basis to keep yourself grounded to keep that mental and emotional fat to a minimum for yourself that you think the audience could be able to, maybe if they took a nugget or two, be able to implement into their life right away. Yeah. I think now more than ever is a time to focus Mm. on meaning and purpose. And so early in the day, not that everyone can do this right away, you have to prioritize it and, and find a way to set this up in your own life and set up your own practices to kind of make it automatic. But I've been doing this for a long time. I, I wake up, in the morning, and generally one of the first things that I'll do is some sort of spiritual reading, some sort of purpose-driven, just a few pages in various forms of something that might advance my spiritual learning. No pressure though, just if it's yeah. 10 minutes, if it's five minutes, that's fine. Sometimes it turns into an hour of me just going deep and reading and learning. And a lot of times, another thing that I've done for a long time that informs my art and a lot of times on my business is I, I record my dreams after I wake up. So I try to remember every dream that I had in as much <laughs> detail as possible, write them all down. I was just reading about this in a book. I, I was reading this book called The Molecule of More. You have to read, it's fascinating, all about dopamine. I just had this guy on my okay, show yeah. and he talks about the creatives and the people. I don't, and don't quote me on this. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but he was talking about how one of the best things you can do is when you have a dream is to get up and I don't know if it was to write it down, like you were saying, or or take some form of action, because when you're dreaming is when your creative mind is at at its highest, right? The here and now neurotransmitter shut off, your dopamine's at at its highest level, and you're able to kind of really get some quirky, cool, meaningful thoughts about your life that you can kind of take it at face value for yourself to be like, all right, like, what can I do with this? So I love that so much, but go on. Yeah, yeah. Well, it reminds me, a quick aside on that story, like when I was working my day job, 
I was doing a super crazy, dry, quick project, scientific based on pipeline technology, on like a proposed emerging new techno technology and pipeline. I have no experience on this. So I'm reading books about pipeline technology and uh, trying to figure out like, what what is this emerging company doing? Is it a competitive threat? They hired me to figure out if it was a competitive threat. And so I'm doing all this research and stuff. In the middle of all this, I have a dream and I'm just like, what if there's a patent like deep in the specific Google index of results from an old website that I could find? And then sure enough, I like wake up, I look for this. I find like on page like 16 or whatever, I find this patent with like all the information that I was looking for that they tried to bury under someone else's name or something like that to get this technology out with no one knowing. And it's like, I made the whole project ethically, I felt weird about that whole experience. And I was still kind of young and green and consulting and it can be weird. You're essentially a corporate spy, but, but anyway, if it weren't for that dream, like reality would have been different and the future of that company would have been different. I mean, it's, it's really crazy to think about. So anyway, I do find that's important. It doesn't happen right away. The weird part is you kind of have to put your notebook out and get used to writing in it. Even if you don't remember your dreams, just write something and be like, you know what? I don't remember my dreams today, but these are the three things I'm grateful for or whatever. Right. It's like, so get in the practice of on a daily basis, getting out your notebook and then your dreams will start coming to you and you'll start remembering them more. So that's, that's one little trick to that. The also like free writing piece is something I do with all my top priorities pretty much every single day, even on Sundays for fun things. If I'm going out for a hike, I'll write down hike, I'll circle it. And then I'll scribble it out all with my favorite pen, which are cheap or whatever, but like on the sketch pad and from a brain standpoint, the more physical you can make this and the less digital, the less virtual, more physical you can make it, the more your brain is going to recognize what you're doing and really pay attention to it. So that's another secret power. If you're looking to learn something, then, then reading and then writing it down. Like that's what I'll often do with the spiritual reading in my journal. It's just like, I'll, I'll read about various spiritual teachings and then i'll write down stuff that really resonates that day in my journal and once you write it down at least for me i tend to not even have to go back to the journal later because i kind of i cemented it into my memory to some degree not perfectly i don't know if don't know photographic memory or anything like that but you remember it a lot better when you type compared to the typing just like writing it down with your hands yeah no i think that there's a lot to be said for doing some form of journaling pen to paper, whether it's just free thought writing, like you said, putting your dreams from the night before down onto some form of notepad or, or pad of paper or the gratitude thing. And one of the things that I've been trying to do, and I've talked about this is not just writing down the one thing I'm grateful for, but like really like getting deep into the emotional context of why I'm grateful for it. Because you really begin to attach a, a deeper sense of meaning to it that it's not just, I'm grateful for my dog. Well, why am I grateful for my dog? Like, what, what about him is meaningful to me? Or I'm grateful yeah. for this friend or my business or whatever it is that day that I'm just like, wow, I'm so thankful that I have this in my life. Because you're right, especially in a time like we're in right now where there's so much we can't do. There's so much that we can't do that we're so used to being able to do certain things that we can't do right now. Yeah. And I think it will bring a lot of clarity to people in their minds and in their hearts to really write down some of these things so that they can uplift their mood and stay more positive as they go throughout the day when they're focused on the things that they do have in their life. So I think a lot of people may be listening to this like, wow, this guy is, 
he has gone through some adversity growing up. He went the kind of traditional route. You go to college, just like most kids do. You pay your way through school, get the scholarships, graduate in three years. And then you hit the adversity and the setback of get into the music industry. And you think that's where you're going to go. And like we said, the music kind of stopped. You pivot into the health and fitness industry, start a podcast, transform your own life, transform so many other people's lives through your own transformational story and your teachings, get on TV. And then I heard recently that something else happened to you and you nearly died and you almost lost yourself. Talk about what happened because it's something that I think we've all heard about and that we, we all have, maybe some of us have, have thought we've been close to it or experienced part of it, but what happened last year? Yeah. So it was pretty grim. This was last uh, July, about a year and a half ago now. So uh, we were staying at a rental house and not a, a cheap one either. This is where we were like working and doing the podcast and living as well. And uh, so the heater unit and furnace that ran the radiant heat and, and heated the house and the hot water had started malfunctioning. Mm. And essentially the rental people and the managers hadn't kept it up and serviced it correctly. And they also hadn't kept the building up to code. Unbeknownst to us, they did not install carbon monoxide detectors in the places where they should have been in the house. So while we were sleeping, essentially carbon monoxide gas is silent. It's invisible. It's undetectable to our, our noses and breathing or whatever. And what happens is it displaces oxygen in your body. So you suffocate without realizing that you're suffocating essentially. So while we were sleeping, my wife, my dog and I all just like went almost catatonic and over the course of, it wasn't a quick thing, but seizures, bleeding, blacking out, barely being able to stand up, secondary infections, just like once we got out of that house, which so thankfully we did, although we took a giant financial hit during all of this because we couldn't work. And obviously we were dealing with a toxic situation with the, the landlord or whatever. So that was like something where we were getting kicked while we were down and we didn't know if we would ever really recover physically. So we could not work for my wife and I aren't any of our businesses for a, a good four to five months of just dead air. And uh, so no podcast recording, nothing. You were just kind of just nothing. We didn't even have a place to sleep. We were wow. literally like we had to sleep in our truck a couple of times. AAA didn't come when we broke down. They said that they would. So we had to spend the night like on a mountain. I had to hike out for water and like find these neighbors. Like it was, it got pretty rock bottomy, even though in a lot of ways we'd already achieved the things that people think that they should achieve. And even some degree of financial independence like that ate all of our savings and like our whole cushion and our emergency fund right before COVID happens, you know, wow. so like, right. As we're finally getting a place to live again and moving all of our, our stuff and getting back set up so we can work and trying to recover our nervous systems and our health and the, the potential brain damage and all the rest of that, it was a lot. And so we're still working through it. A weird thing happened here at this house, which has been great to us about four hours away from where we were. This is a couple of weeks ago we lost hot water. And so we called the handyman 
friend to come over and it was the furnace that was acting up and my wife and I like as soon as he walked over to it and he opened it up and we saw the flame we both started shaking like I'm shaking again a little right now just like the PTSD like the yeah. trauma or whatever of almost dying and not knowing what was going to happen is still definitely in there and my wife and I have a lot of work to do as far as that goes and I understand that it's not something that you just like work out but but having gone through enough things that were pretty rough, not enough to break me, but like pretty rough nonetheless. I, I know to some degree how to channel the coping strategies in a positive direction. Mm. And the thing that, that really roughed me up the most was seeing my wife in such pain, but on a personal level, being a musician who at some level has technical skill and, and someone who speaks for a living and thinks for a living, writes for a living, Having your nervous system taken away from you and not being able to exercise or like I could not play guitar the way that I know that I can play guitar for, for weeks or even months after I recovered, that was the scariest thing ever because it was like being trapped in my own body, but yeah. not being able to use it in the way I knew I could. And I didn't know how permanent that would be. So if, if there's anything that I learned from it, it's, it's that we can come back from almost anything. And for me, if I'm getting better and working on my skills and trying to progress, then I'm happy. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm, I'm sad. Man, I, I feel for, for you and your wife and what you all had to go through and thankful that we're having this conversation that you have made it out at least somewhat on the other side. I know you said you had still have a lot of work to do in which we, we all do. And I know you alluded to something before we recorded that you you nearly like question like your worth and like if you wanted to live and like everything you were yeah. doing when you were going through all this, because I think it's one thing to experience some sense of injury. Say you're skiing down a mountain and you break your arm, like, eh, I'll take off exercising and working out my physical body as I know it for a month or two and heal, but at least I can do X, Y, and Z. You had your entire nervous system taken from you. So you couldn't do the other X, Y, and Z things. You couldn't do anything. And I can only imagine how hard that might've been for you, but I think there's some really, there's some golden nuggets that can come out of this lesson for the audience. Uh, I don't know if you've shared this yet, but I feel like there's a lot of people who have been in this position that you're in, that you were in, or they have a loved one that was in that position that they can't seem to get out of that rut. They're constantly questioning their identity. They're constantly questioning whether they should, quit the, the addiction that they're in. They're constantly questioning whether it's worth living, whatever their low moment is, and they just can't get out of it. And I'm sure with you, I mean, I'm guessing it started with just small wins every day, keeping yeah. your head up, walking one foot in front of the other, slowly but surely just knowing and having that faith because you knew that you or, you were strong and you've made it through so much, so many other things that things will get better over time. So what were some of the, if you could just share a nugget or two, maybe a lesson it was that you implemented, or maybe it was a daily practice you did that really helped you get out of that dark hole you were in. Yeah. Well, one thing that, that I learned pretty hard was, especially with nervous system and brain stuff, if you try to push it too hard mm. and too fast, you're going to take a big hit mm. and you're going to have a setback. So it's like, if I tried to work or if I tried to do too much or if life required that I had to do too much, I would take a big hit and have to just be back in bed for a few days or just yeah. like not do anything for a while and really, really get roughed up. So I think that's, that's one thing that's really important is, is not 
not to expect everything right away, even to yeah. get back to where you were. You don't deserve it. Mm. Like if you try to think about it as like you deserve all the things that you had, then that's a really dangerous position to be in because sometimes you just have to adapt and life changes or, or what have you and, and something's taken away. But then as I did that and I, I, I took a step back a few times, it was then just a matter of every day doing what I could. And so as I went back into doing some of my exercises, which I had to take months off and you become not off really, but you know what I mean? It's coming back. I, I literally went through the motions without weight of the same exercises that I was doing with, with a substantial amount of weight before. Mm -hmm. And then I just, as you do, leveled it up a little bit as appropriate. Same thing with playing music, because one of the most frustrating things for me too is like, you have to get in shape for playing different instruments. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time, and a lot of effort and a lot of calluses or embouchure building or whatever it is. And so if you don't do that for a few months, it all goes away and you have to get back in shape. And so I got tendonitis from moving too many boxes at the same time that I was getting back into playing piano and back into playing guitar and over practicing and overworking. And so it's so much about the little things that you turn into daily practices that you can be consistent on. That's the path to mastery. You're never going to get there through passion alone. Passion is kind of the catalyst and like the launching point, but the rest of it is kind of a grind or at least certain days, it's really going to be a grind. You don't want to drink your water. You don't want to do your finger exercises and you don't want to do your squats. <laughs> and that is a perfectly natural position to be in. I'm in that position all the time, but one of the things I, it's, it's kind of bizarre. Sometimes you go to one side where it's like meditating will help unplugging and just going out to the woods and sitting down is going to help other times. It's totally not. You have to go to the other side, the other extreme. So for me, as soon as I could, I I've always loved hiking and, and running, just like getting out into the woods and doing something active. And I had so much spine pain that I couldn't move my head for a couple of months. I couldn't drive. I, I really had a hard time, but as soon as I could go out and run again, I knew that in my experience, anyway, when you're dealing with a lot of pain, sometimes the only thing that helps is getting the endorphins and redistributing that pain to another part of your body. Because it's like your brain has ram. If you, if you break a bunch of parts of your body at the same time, it can only really focus on one or two of them. Like you're not hurting everywhere at the same time, usually with some exceptions. But anyway, anyway after I went on these, these runs, I would come back and I'd be covered in sweat and... I would still hurt, but it wouldn't be my spine so much. It's just like it's distributed around the body and like I got the blood flowing and whatever I was doing was going to hurt a little bit at first and then feel better the next day. And then we did we went to hot springs for soaks just to help uh, ease the, the muscles that were all spasmed up. And that was the same deal as like if you go too hard and too hot and too fast, it's going to really hurt. But if you're easy with yourself and you're good, then your nervous system recovers and your body recovers and you build your way back. And I can't believe how much we've recovered. And now the challenge is not just getting back to where I was with a lot of different things, but exceeding where I was. And that proves something even more to me. Like after someone blows it out their knee, you know, like a star quarterback or whatever, you're like, oh my God, are they ever going to come back? When they do, you're like, wow, that's... That's incredible. That's what makes me feel alive. That's what makes me feel a human. So that's a sexy idea to me. Like the idea that you can get 
almost killed, not know if you're going to come back and then come back stronger in whatever way you're passionate about and, and care about and willing to put the work in. That's, that's the coolest thing ever to me. Brother, amen to that. I want to, I want to tie up a few loose ends on uh, this part of our conversation. Then we'll get into what's coming next for you. So I think a couple of things that you touched on that I think are very valuable for the audience to hear is if you get caught up in that cycle, that shame cycle of, I want to be who I used to be. Like, why can't I move like that? Why can't I do those things? You're going to get into that victim mindset and you're going to stay there and you're going to continue to wallow in your misery and be a victim and say, woe is me and be pessimistic. And while that's easy and in some cases with what you went through, that's valid, it's not going to get you what you want because you can't change what happened. You can't change the past. You can only continue to rewrite where you're going. And if you spend so much time in the problem, in the mess, in the pessimism, and that's all you focus on, you're going to stay there. Could be yeah. weeks, could be months, could be years. And you're going to look back and be like, man, like, I wish I would have taken more action. I wish I would have had some sense of humility and gratitude for what I was able to do and just taken some small steps to completely change my life. And the other thing that I think, which is very inspiring that you said is really staying grounded in who you are as a person and knowing that whatever you were going through was meant to happen for a reason and that you were going to develop strength and courage and work that adversity muscle even more so that whatever you do face as you go out about your life or with what you and your wife, the challenges that you all face together, you'll have more confidence in your ability to overcome. One of the things I've been talking about a lot is you have to work your non-physical muscles, just like you work your physical muscles. You have to work your things like uh, faith. You have to work non-physical muscles like perseverance, grit, determination, fear. You have to do things that scare you repeatedly so that you get better at it over time. And the other thing that I heard you say that I I, I'm sure I wanted to touch on because I'm wondering if this is how you felt. Like you, you mentioned when you were running, you felt like the sense of accomplishment because you're like, wow, I felt great after I ran, but you had these aches and pains in your back and your spine still. But I guarantee you, your heart and soul was roaring with love and positivity and, and joy and passion that like, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to continue to take these lessons I've learned to have an impact on the world. So with that being said, you're like I said, you're like a jack of all trades, man. I mean, between writing, writing books about food to writing uh, poetry books to experimenting uh, with coffee to the reality TV star, fitness, musician, all these things. And now I'm hearing you're, you're experimenting with VR and an app's coming. So talk a bit about those two things, if you will, and what's next for Abel James. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Yeah, I'll add one more thing, too, Yeah, that you kind of tried to tie up with one of the points, but around suffering. And I'm just summarizing one of the spiritual readings I remember that's, that's recent. Be, be sure you're not suffering over your own suffering. Mm. So basically getting caught up in that circle of drama and just like, Oh, all this messed up stuff happened to me. And I have to work through this trauma. Like look around at your life. This is why it's important to be grateful for things. Look at the things that are working out because we rarely do that. So be confident that you are not suffering over the sake of your own suffering. That's a, that's something I have to remind myself every day. Mm. I really do. So anyway, best place to find me and some of the crazy stuff. Yeah. I went deep into the virtual reality rabbit hole, made over 400 different 360 VR videos. Some of them are virtual tours of 
uh, different like national parks and monuments, kind of like ancient aliens <laughs> type places, some of them. Some virtual music videos, that's all at Able James dot com as well you can find you know some of the poetry and, and more artsy fartsy stuff there and then uh, from a health perspective fat burning man is the name of the podcast you're one of the excellent guests on that show so i encourage people to check out that episode that's fat burning man show uh, if you look it up in fatburningman.com and then the new app we're really psyched about but uh, apps can be a tricky technology but the one that we have now allows us to have a deeper connection with the people who are actually using it. And that's the whole point where they can have recipes, meal plans, and we can organize our challenges, even text back and forth, like all through one platform, one place that's not Facebook, that's not Instagram or Pinterest or the normal uh, places. So we're really psyched about that. That's called the wild challenge. And it's almost ready. It should be ready traveling into the future by the time this hits, hopefully. Amazing, man. And I've learned so much about you just from, I mean, not only our episode here, but digging more into your story over the last few days that it's incredibly inspiring with all the stuff that you have gone through and you continue to carry on this uplifting attitude of humility, positivity. I can do this. I'm going to get through this, not just so you can help yourself and your wife, because you want to pass along these lessons to other people, right? And be able to make a an authentic difference in a world where there's a lot of people struggling. There's a lot of people really hurting right now. And so the last question I want to ask you is you are one of the most creative people I've ever come across. It seems like you're a research junkie. You just go and research stuff and figure out how can I create based off things I research, you kind of are your own kind of biohacker, if you will, on your, your own life of all facets. What's one piece of advice you have, if you could leave the audience with one piece of advice for somebody, maybe they're trying to recreate themselves. They're trying to recreate their health. Maybe they're trying to recreate um, a relation to the relationship with inside themselves. They're trying to recreate some meaning in their life. What's one piece of advice you could leave them with? Be explicit and write down who you want to be or what mm. you want your life to be. Sketch it out, like draw a little picture or make a few notes, whatever comes to mind. And the more often you do that, the more you start training your brain to build those things. It's not like law of attraction magic where everything is done for you. It's more about pointing your focus in the right direction where you want to go instead of just being pulled in a reactive state into whatever's happening, the chaos of whatever's happening. And I, I guarantee it's going to be chaotic no matter what happens for the rest of our lives every year if we choose to see it that way. But if we get focused on that, then you start setting up the life practices, hopefully, in uh, around you, the practical steps on a day-to-day -day basis. Break it down to the smallest thing you can to get you a little bit closer to that goal, a little bit closer to moving to the place you want to move or like starting to write your book. You can do it, even if you already have a job. You can do these things. Try not to make an excuse out of your kids, your family, your circumstances, or what have you. Try to get focused on what you actually want to get done. And then organize your life around it. And no matter what it is, you can take steps every day to get there. And if you do that long enough, then you get mastery in one domain and you start to see bleed over benefits into these other domains. And that's what I try to do. That's why it seems like I'm all over the place. But what I'm looking for is the best practices between all these different crazy parts of life where, where those parts of life can learn from each other. Mm. You just heard it from the creative genius himself, Abel James. And... I want to really thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and chatting with me. I know you're an incredibly busy guy and you got a lot going on and obviously trying to rebuild your own life and your own mental health and physical health with everything that you went through. 
with the carbon dioxide poisoning. And I just want the audience to really take note of this episode for several reasons. Number one, the lessons that I'm sure you've learned that Abel shared about his journey of entrepreneurship from just continuing to go after the things that he's passionate about between music, podcasting, writing, nutrition, training, VR. I mean, I go on and on that he's continued to evolve and he's continued to acknowledge when something's not working and having the humility and gratitude with inside of himself to say, you know what, like maybe this time is up for now. I'm going to pivot in a different direction, see where this goes. I'm going to give it my best. And I just know it's leading me closer to develop closer to developing and cultivating more of a deep, meaningful purpose. And the bigger lesson I think is the one that came later on in the episode about everything he went through with the carbon monoxide poisoning and how, what, what can really happen when you think you have everything in life and things are going for you. And then in a matter of seconds, you can literally be crippled and have everything that you thought was meaningful to you taken from you. And it takes some sincere grit hard work, humility, determination, positivity to keep your head up and put one foot in front of the other to continue moving forward, even when it seems impossible, even when you can't see the light, even when you have no idea how things are going to turn out. So that being said, I encourage you to share something you learned. Maybe it was something that you learned from Abel. Maybe you want to give him a shout out for his story, or you want to jot down one of the lessons that he shared or takeaways from how he started his entrepreneurship business, and then just share it. Tag us both. And we'd love to hear from you. We love to hear feedback from these episodes because we appreciate learning how it touched your heart. And I once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.